Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Jared. Well, please be seated. I am humbled to be here today. I just want to take an opportunity to thank mom and dad in their absence for affording me the privilege of being in the pulpit here and for their trust that they bestow on me. Ah, man, to the worship team, you guys are amazing. Um, and God just works in such incredible ways. There's been no communication. Um, it's just a trusting that God's going to put the right songs in the right places in the right time, and He just does, and you guys have been absolutely amazing. The worship is incredible. But today, I've just become so aware in the past of the atmosphere that prevails in our communities, in our country, even in families. And it's challenged me Big time. But I, I, can't, I originally thought, well, well, God gave me the, the passage of 1 John 2 verse 20, okay, that says, but the Holy One has anointed you, and you all know the truth. Okay, so originally I thought, well, you know what, let's just get them to say that 10 times and to believe it and to own it as a declaration. We can all go home quickly. So please say that with me. But the Holy One has anointed you. And you all know the truth. So, when you step into a place that is not of God, where there's a spirit that is not of God, you can't just step out without doing anything. When your community WhatsApp group is driven by fear and anger because of what's happening in in terms of crime. You can't just join the pity party. You can't just join them in fear and anger. Because you have been anointed and you know the truth and you know there's not of God. And if you don't speak up, you're actually letting God down. Okay, so I guess... There are different atmospheres that, we're gonna, that we experience and all have experienced. And I mean, at a funeral, there'll be an atmosphere of grief. And that's fitting. Okay, you don't go there and say, go, I'll become the comedian. Okay, because even Jesus grieved. Um, at a wedding, there's a joyous atmosphere. And that's fitting because that's how it ought to be. But in our country, there's an atmosphere of despair and despondency. And so what are we doing? We're sitting in church and we say everything's going to be okay. Um, we mustn't play politics. Um, and, but no, okay? You have been anointed by the Holy One and you know the truth. Okay, so when, when you go to Bri or when you go to dinner with people and the, 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 the conversation changes to what's happening in, in the economy or in the politics of this country and it is not of the truth. You have been anointed. 
to bring change. Okay, it's not mom and dad. You don't find dads that listen, oh, well, people over there were very nasty and they're ugly and they, they worried about politics. No, you have failed to do what God has anointed you to do. And so, there's always a situation that you step into where you can feel the tension. Um, I went to a client the other day where, as you walked in the door, you could feel the tension in the premises. And they just advised the clients that they're going to go on a retrenchment campaign. Or they're going to have to start retrenching people. Okay, so the tension was palpable. I left. I didn't do anything. I failed. I failed. But then, there's... When you look at the, the wider context, and we think, well, we are, we are powerless. We, we, we just don't have what, what it takes. In John 8, verse 7, and this is, was where God just took me and dealt with me about this. When you look at what's happened in this past year in this country, um, in, in this passage is the one where they, they, they caught the woman in adultery, and the, the mob brings them to Jesus and says, we want to stone her. We want... We want to, to do justice the way that we are taught. This is what we're wanting from them. And then Jesus just kneels down. And he writes in the sand. And he says, um, Let who, him who is without sin throw the first stone. And he changed a mob rule to forgiveness for the adulteress. Okay, he was the one who brought justice. And forgiveness. But if I chose that passage, then you would all say, yeah, but that's Jesus. Okay, he, he, he knew what he was doing. I, I'm not quite there yet. So I want to go to Genesis 35, verses 10 to 15. <coughs> and so this is the story of Jacob and Rachel. And you know the story, Jacob had a wrestling match with God, and when God left him, he blessed him, etc., and he gave him the, a lump and all the rest of it. And so shortly after this, they set off, and again, God said to him, your name is Jacob, the planter. You shall not be called Jacob any longer, but Israel shall be your name. Okay, so he's changed him, he's changed his identity because he's had an encounter with God. Okay, so he called him Israel, contender with God. Okay. And then God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, a company of nations, shall come from, from you and kings shall be born of your stock. Okay. So just because he has an encounter and he refuses to let go of God until he blesses him, he says to him, because you of this, you're a contender with me, you shall be fruitful and kings shall be born, born from your loins, the other translation says. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and to your descendants after you I will give you the land. Then God ascended from him in the place where he talked to him. And Jacob set up a pillar, a monument in the place where he talked with God, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it, so he anointed that place. And then Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel, the house of God. And they journeyed from Bethel and had put a little way to the Ephra, Bethlehem, when Rachel suffered birth, pangs of childbirth and had a hard labor. 
When she was in hard labor, the midwife said to her, do not be afraid. You shall have this son also. And as her soul was departing, for she died, she called the, the name Ben-Onai, or Benoni. Okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> Which is son of my sorry, uh, my sorrow. And, but his father called him Benjamin, son of the right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephraim, and, and Jacob set the pillar, a monument of, on her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Okay, and so the moral of the story here is that Rachel named the child after her reality. The son of my sorrow. Okay, and so who knows what her thoughts were, but maybe she was sorry that she wouldn't be able to nurse him. She was sorry she wouldn't be able to nurture him. She was sorry she wouldn't see him grow up. She was sorry that he would be without a mother. Whatever her, her motive was, okay, um, that is what she named him. But Jacob, who had just had an encounter with God, who sees things differently and sees from God's perspective, doesn't look at his wife who has died. He says, no, but this is the son of my strength or the son of my legacy, okay, Despite the circumstances in, despite the, he's just lost his wife. Even in his grief, he can see God's hand in his son. Again, so he sets up a pillar um, of Rachel's grave. So that, that passage just follows mom's message from last week about naming your seed. And where do you name your seed from? Are you naming your seed out of um, your current reality? So when you bring your offering, you say, oh, God, this is my last. Oh, God, I trust in your sufficiency. What is your perspective that you name your seed after? So... But the reason why, no, the question here is how many of you have had an encounter with God, yeah, or anywhere else? And if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you've had an encounter with God. Um, you don't have to wrestle with him all night. If you've been baptized, you have an encounter with God. If you've been baptized in the Spirit, you've had an encounter with God. So everybody here should have had an encounter with God. But how much does that encounter with God shape your reality? <coughs> Do we value that, those, that time that God, those encounters that we have had with God along the way? Or do we have them and move on and move on and then wait for the next one where we can encounter God again? An encounter with God is there to shape your future. It's there to shape your life. The day when you say to Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, your future has changed because you have stepped into eternal life. So why would your future not change today? If you've received a prophetic word, and this is a prophetic church, so it's very difficult to come here more than twice and not receive a prophetic word. <laughs> uh, 
And we, we praise God for that. And how much value do you put on that prophetic word? Does it shape your life today? Even if it's something that's going to happen in the future. So we sit here, we, 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 get, we get a prophetic word. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. That's wonderful. Uh, um, I'll wait patiently for that which you've promised. Okay, but it should in reality be shaping our lives day by day. And it should shape the seed that we sow. It should change the way we name our seed. We, many years ago, went into a new village in Lesotho. And called Likabong. And as we drove in, it, it was, I think, probably in September, because all I remember vividly is that all along the side of the mountain, or side of the road, was snow, because it had recently snowed. It's high in the mountain. It was bitterly cold. Um, so we all got there in the mist. Um, they told me there's a village down here. I could hardly see it, but the guys showing us the ways to drive in here. We drove down. Visibility was literally about five meters at that stage. And we got out the car with freezer jackets and jackets and beanies and gloves, whatever. And we couldn't see the village because of the mist. So we left the lights on and somebody hooted and one of the local guys went into the village and called people. And this little girl, she was probably, she was 12 at the time, came out and she was the only person in the village who could speak English. So they sent her out to hear what our story was. It was freezing. It was insanely cold. She came only with a panty, a broken t-shirt, and a blanket that was all tattered and torn. And she stood in front of us and she shook like this indescribably. And she spoke English particularly well, which is what set her apart from everybody else. And she said to me, my name, is sour milk. Can Mapuli will can confirm for you, but it is what happens is that the parents name their children after their current or their present circumstances. So this kid, her her name in Sutu, she, but she didn't give me her Sutu name. She just translated it for me and said it is sour milk. You you cannot not do something in that circumstance. And so we, we handed out clothes and we, I took this kid and I, I just, man, we just embraced her and dressed her and did what we can. And as she put on the clothes, her, she changed. And she, she got warm and she stopped shivering. And she st was, I, think, I don't know if the shivering was because of the cold or because of the fear of who, of who we were. But once we had dressed her, I took her aside and with an interpreter had to explain to her that that's not who you are. That's not your identity. That, and we, we did, and it, she, but sour milk was the reason we kept going back. So when you run into a situation where the atmosphere is not what God would want. You have no choice but to act.
So whether there's family strife, and you are the anointed because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You cannot take sides. You can only take God's side. And again, I said to you, but the Holy One has anointed you, and you all know the truth. So, as God had prophesied to Jacob way back in Genesis, and he said to him, kings will be born, born, born from your loins or from your stock, okay? And he named his son Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was established in Israel because God said to him, your name is not Jacob anymore, but Israel. And so I want to pick up the story a little bit later, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And I, I'm always aware that I'm put on serious time constraints here, okay? So, and I don't want to make this a, a study or whatever. So my, my, my passage comes from one, 1 Samuel chapter 9 to 1 Samuel chapter 13, Okay. Now, I can't do that with you today, okay, um, because you won't get home in time. But more importantly, I want you to go and study it, because it is a study that has blessed my life. So, here we go. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, there was a man of Benjamin. Did you get it? A man of the tribe of Benjamin, okay, which was prophesied in Genesis whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zerah, the son of... Okay, lots of, lots of them were all Benjamite, Benjamites, um, which is a bit like Marmite, but it's just Benjamite, okay? And he was a mighty man of wealth and valor. Okay, God said to Jacob, I'll bless your stock. And the blessing included material wealth. He gave them land, he established them, he gave them authority, and he gave them wealth. And then Kish had a son named Samuel. And it says here, a choice young man and handsome among all the Israelites. There was not a man more handsome than him. He was a head taller than any of the other people. Okay, so th that's, quite, that's quite a write-up okay, for somebody's resume. Um, in, in, the, in the first two, the first two, two verses of, of, of the chapter, this like ha comes out of a, entitled, he's bo literally born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Um, he had everything going for him. He's a wealthy family. He's handsome. He's strong. He stands out from the crowd. Then, in verse three, it says the donkeys of Kish Saul's father were lost. Kish said to Saul, take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. And they passed through the hill country of Ephraim and the land of Salishash, but did not find them. Then they went through the land of Shalim and the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. And when they came to the land of Zub, Saul said to his servant, come, let us return, lest my father stop worrying about the donkeys and become concerned about us. Now that's a wonderful statement. You see, Saul's father wouldn't have sent him to go look for the donkeys if it wasn't a significant loss or important to him. He sent him, also if it, a minor thing, he would have just sent the servants to go and look for them. And the servants would have come back and said, yes, we found them, no, we didn't. 
But he sent his son, he entrusted his son to go find the donkeys. It was that important to him. And Saul's about to fail. Saul's about to give up. Okay, he has everything going for him. He, has all the, he is what has been described there. Yet he's about to give up. And he can justify it. Yeah, you know, if we keep going much longer, then, well, my dad's going to worry about me. Um, we better get back. And Saul fails. He surrenders his responsibility. And he even justifies it. How many of you have been there? How many of you are there now? You sent out hundreds of CVs. But nothing's happening. You've knocked on doors for new business, but it's not happening. You, you've done everything, and right now, throwing in the towel, going back, is the only option that you're faced with. I want to say to you, don't. Don't do it. Can we give up before we step into the blessing? But here's the amazing part about this thing. The servant said to him, behold now, there in this city is a man of God, a man held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can show us where we should go. Then Saul says to his servant, but if we go, what shall we bring the man? The bread in our sacks is gone. There is no gift for the man. What have we? So, Saul is unprepared. He's run out of supplies. He doesn't have a cent on him. Okay? How many of you are there? We've run out of supplies and we have no money. And so he's saying, but God's not jarring us. That's pointless going to God because look at the situation I'm in. I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and nothing's changed. I've looked everywhere. Jesus said, seek and you shall find. Well, I've looked. Where do I go to from here? And the servant replied, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Man, if you take nothing from this, and if you're not in a place where you are in a place of desperation, where you wanted to give up, then you are the servant who needs to help somebody who is there to keep pushing through. And then in verse 9, it says, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Which is ultimately what a prophet sees, what God sees. A prophet sees from God's perspective. Saul said to his servants, Well, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met the young maidens going out to draw the water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, Yes, he is. Behold, he is just beyond you. Hurry, for he came today to the city because the people have arrived, have a sacrifice today in the high place. As you enter the city, you will find, find him before he goes to the high place to eat. The people will not eat until he comes to ask the blessing of the sacrifice. 
Afterwards, those who are invited eat. So go up for, for about now you will find him. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering, behold, Samuel came towards them, going up to the high place. Now, a day before Samuel came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel in his ear, Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a young man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be the leader over my people, and he shall take them out of the hand of the Philistines. For I've looked upon the distress of my people, because their cry has come to me. Okay. If Saul had gave up, had turned back, had looked at his lack and his inadequacy, he would never have got to the blessing. Then he says, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there is the man of whom I told you. He shall have authority over my people. Saul didn't know what he was pursuing. Saul thought he's going to go look for donkeys. And yeah, he's walking into an anointing. We turn around long before the anointing comes, before the blessing is revealed. Then Saul came near to, to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me where the seer's house. Samuel answered, I am the seer. And he says to him, go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. Okay, so Saul has nothing. He hasn't eaten in I don't know how long. Okay, when did his provision run out? And he says, I'll feed you before I speak to you. I will meet your physical need. I will make you stronger. I will nurture you. And then he says, and tomorrow I will let you go and tell you, all that's on your mind. No, okay. Well, you, you've got to hear this, okay? Saul's looking for a donkey. Okay? He scores a plate of food um, and a place of rest for tonight. And he's not sleeping in the field, which is, which, is, which is brilliant, okay? But then Samuel says to him, and I'm going to tell you what's on your mind. So, but then before he, he says to him, go up ahead, but I'm going to give you food and I'm going to tell you what's on your mind. And then he says, as for your donkeys, that were lost three days ago, do not be thinking about them, for they are found. So in the presence of God, restoration takes place. Okay, we, we, we look for restoration, so when I get home, I want to see my donkeys. He can only take Samuel's word on this. Okay, because it's going to take him however long to get home again. But God has promised us restoration of everything that we've lost. Throughout scriptures, restoration is your portion. Okay? We're looking for donkeys. But God has more in store for us. So, and tomorrow I'll tell you what's on your mind. We come to God and we say, God, change my heart. Um, change my heart. But it, it doesn't change our minds. Because you see, that which we think becomes that which we speak. Which becomes the seed that we sow. That which we speak and that which we do becomes what we believe. 
So Saul, despite his strength, despite his looks, despite everything that's going for him, is insecure and he wants to give up. He can't see it through to the end. So Samuel says to him, I want to tell you all that's on your mind. I want to change your mind before I can change your heart. And then Saul says, oh, sorry, I'm, oh, in verse 21, listen to this. So he says all these things to me. He says, and Saul said, am I not a Benjamite, a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And is not my family the least of all the families of the clans of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me this way? Why do you think I'm something I'm not? We are just so small. We are insecure. We are inadequate. Why would you speak to me like this? And so when we read that we are more than conquerors, we say, well, yeah, you know, I, I, can, I can see that in lots of people in church. Yeah, yeah I wish it was me. Um, we are, if we're not prepared to claim the promises of God. And this church is very good at doing declarations, sending out declarations. And um, if it's a simple thing of program, reprogramming your mind. I struggled, okay, because we were brought up with very old-style parents who said, no, you can't do that. No, no, my boy, money doesn't grow trees. No, 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 you must get a job. You must have a medical aid. You must have a pension fund. You can't have your own business, okay, because everybody who does that fails. Um, and so we had to break those, those thought patterns in my own head. Okay, and, you know, my boy, I need... Only the pastor can pray for people. Only well, the dominant can pray for people. Not, not everybody can do that. Um, and so I, I was happy to be a pew warmer because as long as I was taking and not giving back, I was okay. And if I had to give back, it would be working in the garden, taking out weeds, whatever, that, that would be cool. Okay, because I didn't realize I had an anointing. But we, we can identify people around us who live by the promises of the word. And we look at them and say, what did they do? How did they get that right? They must be special in God's eyes. Okay, God doesn't favor man. He's not a respect of persons. That, his promises are available to each. Okay, so, right after this, and so there we see that Saul has an inferiority complex. And so, you know, I, I can't go and pray for people. So when, when my wife or my child or sick, I'm going to bring them to the pastor because only they can heal people. Only they, if they pray for them, can heal. But that's not true. Okay, so you are anointed through the Holy One. And you know the truth. We need to reprogram our mind to the truth. So then we move on to verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought him, brought him into the guest room at the high place and had them sit at the head of the table. About 30 of them who were invited, the other people fasted outside, feasted outside. And Samuel said to the cook, 
bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it aside. Your portion has been set aside. We speak to God, we name him our God is our portion. But do we know what that means? Have you asked God to reveal your portion to you? And the cook lifted high the shoulder, and what was on it indicating it was the priest's honest, the priest's honored portion, and set it before Saul. Samuel said, "See what he has reserved for you. Eat for until the hour appointed. The hour appointed. It was kept for you ever since I invited the people. So Saul ate that day with Samuel. So hold on, this feast was set up way back when." Okay, a portion was set aside, not knowing who it was for. And he says, see what I have reserved for you, what has been reserved for you. Today I want to invite you to be, step into that place where God shows you what he has reserved for you. But I also want to say to you that it's, it's frightening because if God had told me what I know now, I probably would never have gone to the city for the first time. Okay, we want to see what he has in store for us. But when you see that, it's not so, it can be daunting. Christ knew when he started his ministry what the end was going to be. Are you prepared to go there? But where God leads you, he will never leave you. Where God leads you, he will always provide for you. Where God leads you, your portion will be ready for you and reserved for you. So when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel conversed with Saul on the top of the house. They rose early about dawn. Samuel called Saul, who was sleeping on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. Enough of this eating, sleeping, whatever stuff. Uh, Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out onto the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But you stand still. First, that, may, that I may cause you to hear the word of God. So often, while we're looking for that which we've lost, we get tense, we get busy. We get anxious, and we cannot afford time to stand still that God can tell us where our donkeys are. So often we run around like a man saying, Dog, God, where's, where's, where's my donkeys? God, I've lost this. Where are they? Where's Instead of getting quiet, saying, God, I need you to show me. And then, 1 Samuel chapter 10, and whew, can we get the musicians to come and just create an atmosphere that needs, there's, there's just, I just sense the spirit, and then Samuel took the vial of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, has not the, the Lord anointed you? be prince of his heritage of Israel. 
You have been anointed for a purpose. You have been anointed for a purpose. But the other day, or a short a while ago, when we were talk, talking about revival here, Dad said, and he said a very true thing, that we have made access to the altar too easy. Do you remember that? Okay, and we have, because we didn't just pop in and pop out and do, do as you want to, okay? Um, because we always have access to the, to the altar. But I want to say to you that we have made the anointing too dignified. You come stand here and we take a little bottle of oil and we wet our thumb and we anoint you in the name of... Saul takes what is God's. Doesn't have little, little bottles with little, little slow flow jobbies. He takes the vial. He takes the vial and he pours it over him. Everybody that walked past him will have known he's anointed. How many people know that you're anointed? I come here, I receive an anointing, I leave, I go back to my family and say, they anointed me today, yay! That wasn't his choice. He was anointed by the man of God. And everything ran down his head. It was greasy. It went into his beard. It probably went into his ears. It ran over his moustache. Someone goes into his mouth. The words he speaks changes. The way he hears changes. That's what he sees. Everybody sees him. Knows he's anointed. He knows he's anointed. It stains his clothes. And his clothes, his clothes has changed. But as, but as, but as, it comes, it permeates into his skin. It permeates into his skin. And so as he perspires, there's a new scent. There's a new scent of who he is. Every fiber of him, every part of him becomes anointed. He breathes it in. He breathed it out. His words are changed. The way he sees is changed. His appearance is changed. What is your anointing? What is your anointing done for you? Jesus. 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 Your anointing. It's not for your benefit. Your anointing is for a purpose. If the people you know don't know that you're anointed, you have felt God. We cannot, we cannot carry on like that. You see, we stand here we come for prayer because we're looking for a donkey can we stop looking for donkeys can we stop looking for donkeys Lord fill my stomach make me well that's his nature man that's what he does but he anoints you for a different purpose he anoints you so that you will be that person 
He's not known to you so that you will be the person who changes atmospheres. He's known to you so that you can go and break the chains of poverty. And He gives you your portion. It's been set aside for you. And all you want is a donkey. There's so much more. There's so much more. Our anointing permeates the atmosphere in. If you walk into a place where the atmosphere is not of God, the simple fact that you're anointed ought to bring change. The simple fact that you've been anointed should change relationships. Why? Because before Samuel even saw Saul, he said to him, he will have authority over my people. That same authority flows through the anointing to you and I. Oh man. And then the Spirit of the Lord towards the end in verse 6 says then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily and you will show yourself to be a prophet with them and you will be turned you will be turned into another man God is saying to you today you will be turned into a, another person if you will accept his identity if you accept the authority if you accept the anointing when these things when these signs meet you he says do whatever you find to be done for God is with you man we go into places and I'm guilty of this then I I'm going to have phone, phone, dad. That's his domain, not mine. He needs to go and pray for that one, not me. Um, or no, you know, it's fine. That I could standing up there, Evangelist Freddy, he, he's got a big mouth, man. Let him go and pray for the people. Uh, that, when mom and dad stand there and they just make demands. And it's their job. They're the anointed ones. And that, they, but you're walking in the anointing. You're walking in the flow. So whatever you find to do, do it. When I first went to Lesotho the first time, I didn't know how to pray a salvation prayer. I was taken by surprise because somebody asked me to do it. God provides. God will grow you into it. But if you're not prepared to put up your hand to do the small things, to do the simple things. In the beginning, Jesus sent his disciples to go fetch water. Um... Find a, find a donkey, do whatever he needed. Okay, that did the practical stuff. But that taught them to get to grow into ministry. So if you're here and you're sitting and you're in the ministry of helps, okay, that doesn't stop there. That's your entry point into a growth point. <coughs> if you're not involved, if you come to church every day because it's lack and somebody put up the chairs for you, and you just think I'm going to take the message and I'm going to go home. And life won't be, life will be the same again. Man, God's got news for you. 
Okay, when you step through those doors, this is a growth point. This place is anointed. This territory is anointed. You cannot leave here without flowing in the anointing. The question is whether people will see it or whether they won't. This is, you shall go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you shall do. It's the time when you need to wait on God to reveal why, what the anointing is for. And when Saul had turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Whoa, hold on. He spoke to his mind earlier and he's given him another head. And all these signs came to pass that day. are a new creation are you prepared to accept the identity that Christ has given you or are you better off being your old self at work and your new self at church and to have a split personality at work things go wrong so I go home and I go and pray for the people at work because heaven forbid they should find out that I pray at work am I anointed enough to say my God can change circumstances do whatever you find to do for God is with you too often we are waiting for God to work for us but God is waiting to work through you often we need to be the answer to somebody else's prayer so that God can answer our own the number of times I've just got a sense that I need to help somebody before me or behind me in the, to- in the road to pay for their goods because God has laid on my heart that they don't have enough. Even when I'm struggling, God says, help. And the blessings follow. You see, first God changed his mind. We need to change our minds about who God is. For many of us, God is the God who we go and chat to on a Sunday. And then we hope he doesn't follow us to the pub later. see when we change our minds God can change our hearts when we harden our hearts our minds have to follow so went from I'm not worthy to I'm going to be a king That's quite a radical process. 
um, it takes time to step into that. It's often said that if you win a million rand, if you get a phone call tonight to say that you've won a million rand, 10 million rand, you had better be a millionaire in your mind before you collect it. Because else you'll squander it. If we don't make the transition in what our anointing is for us, we're going to squander it. When you realize that you are anointed, not by oil, but you're anointed by the Holy One, should we not take our anointing a lot more seriously? Should we not take our salvation a lot more seriously? Who of you would deny God? Who of you would deny the cross? But we'll deny our anointing. It's from the same source. You cannot deny it. You are anointed. So your choice is to look for a donkey at the end of the anointing. Or to step into the, the fullness of what God has in store for you. Your portion is waiting for you. Has been prepared for you. And so, I invite you now. If you want to say, God, I want to change my mind. I want a fresh anointing from you. Then I want to pray with you today. Father God, Father God, we come before you now, Lord, we just acknowledge, Father, that we have lost sight of who you are. We have lost sight of our anointing. We have stepped out of our place of anointing. Father, we thought you were anointing us for our own benefits. And today, Lord, we, we come and we pray your forgiveness. We pray, Father, that you pour out your spirit anew on us, Father. Father God, you give us a fresh anointing, a fresh experience of who you are, Lord. Father God, that with our anointing, Lord, we will step out, it'll be visible. It'll be an external revelation of who you are, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that as we go into our communities, into our homes, into a place of work, Lord, with our anointing, Lord, there will be a shift in the atmosphere. Father, we pray this now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.